You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, I think we're, I think we'll have a pretty good conversation here. Uh, I've been digging into guys' site and, um, this is, this is actually, I'm very excited because, uh, there's been all this hubbub around AI and, mm-hmm. and I'm still in pursuit of what is and what is not AI. So I'm excited that you're here cause I'm hoping you're going to give me the answers, but before we get too far into things, I want to give you a proper intro. I've got Mark Rutzen. He's co-founder and CEO of a company called Hello Data. They provide investors valuable insights, performing real-time marketing analysis, pricing strategies, leveraging AI, uh, specifically focused on the multifamily vertical. Uh, that's properties, anything uh, two or, or more units. And if Mark sounds familiar, it's probably because you may have heard of him. Uh, he's co-founder and CEO of a company called Anoto, which was acquired by Walker and Dunlop. So, uh, Mark, welcome to the show here. I want to start with this straight from the uh, Hello Data website. We use AI to identify the most relevant comps for any size, two units and up multifamily property. Then we analyze them every day to recommend the right pricing, value adds, and operational improvements to maximize your NOI. What do you call doing that? What is that? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... It's it's been a bit tough to come up with a one liner that uh, succinctly explains it, but I think revenue management and asset optimization is probably uh, closest to describing what we're doing, uh, because there is a strong revenue management component. Pricing is is one of the most important things you need to continually uh, update and determine for your property, um, but pricing is not the only level, right? And if your historical performance was poor, or something is holding you back from getting purely market-driven uh, pricing, well, you need to address that bottleneck or that whatever is holding you back before you can really um, have pricing be the, the most important thing or really have market-driven pricing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to get into this because, um, you know, we've had, I've had, we've had multiple guests talking about multifamily on the show. When we talked about how to keep tenants in the unit, we've talked about how to know how to pricing, or how to do pricing, um, you know. Quite frankly, I, I don't know that anyone's used the terms revenue management. If they have, it's totally escaped me. But maybe we just didn't drive the conversation there. Is this a common practice? And if so, what is the difference between what is commonly being done in the industry and what what you guys are now offering to the industry? Yeah, so it is common depending on the size of property and uh, in in the portfolio, right? So. For properties that are 100 plus units, you can use revenue management, Yieldstar, LRO. Uh, there are some other systems. Yardy's got a system too. They use supply and demand at the property. So the, the number of prospects, applicants, leases signed, when your leases are turning over, what your, your occupancy goals are, 
and they they basically triangulate the the best pricing to to get to that right. Uh, and these models have been around for for decades. Problem is, a lot of the industry is left out. RealPage, uh, their market share is around eight percent. All revenue management systems in in aggregate are around ten percent. Right. So what's happening to the other 90 percent of multifamily units? Mm-hmm. Well, if they're under 100 units, which is the majority of all multifamily properties are under 100 units, they can't use revenue management software uh, typically because there's not enough supply and demand data. Like imagine you have, um, you know, a 50 unit building with five floor plans. OK, <laughs> you know, if you have. Uh, High turnover, you have enough supply and demand data. If you do a reasonable job and people stay, you don't have enough data to really drive the the pricing. Um, So a huge portion, 90% of the market has been left out. And what what our approach is, uh, instead of building a supply and demand model that integrates with your property management software, looks at the applicants, prospects, and leases, we did that already. Uh, But in doing so, we learned that that has limitations. It can't apply to every property. And so we mm-hmm. came up with an approach where we use AI to identify which properties at the floor plan level are statistically most comparable with your asset. Um, and part of our approach, what, what's unique about it is we use computer vision to look at the listing photos and the Google Street Views to determine comparability from a resident's perspective, not oh. just your built number of units. Yeah, exactly. Because if you think about it, like if a resident is deciding where they want to live, they look at location, they look at price. And then it's the listing photos. Do I like this place? Do I want to schedule a showing? Yeah. So we took those parameters in, into account in our comps model, and we're making what we believe will be the best uh, rent comps model on the market um, with similarity scores, with the photo analysis, with kind of allowing you to compare, you know, the pool at this property is kind of a hole in the ground, and the pool at this property is like an amazing infinity pool on the roof. Those there's a difference. It's not just a pool, right? It's qualitative. We've made it quantitative with our algorithms. And then um, because we have that, that comps model, we can identify which floor plans really do compete with your two beds, your one beds, your three beds. And then uh, we monitor them every day to see when they came on the market, when listings of that type that are similar to yours came on the market, how long mm-hmm. they stayed, how long mm-hmm. the, the, or how much the price adjusted in that time and when they came off. That gets us time on market and price. And then with that, we can make a revenue management model that actually doesn't require property management software integration and works for any size property. That's a, that's the main project for Hello Data. And you know, what's, what's interesting is what you were talking about, like how people um, try and figure out if they want to rent a unit or not. One, one of the things when my wife and I, we were living in Chicago, we were looking at uh, initially our... My, my criteria is I wanted one mile within the office because uh, we, we used yeah. to go to the office back then. And, <laughs> and so I wanted, I wanted something short. I didn't want to commute. And so it was important uh, also to us that we were in a safe neighborhood. We didn't really know Chicago all that well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, if you watch any sliver of news about Chicago, it's not exactly positive. So we're like, okay, let's make sure we go find a place that we feel safe. And one of the criteria is like, let's look for people who are out running. Yeah. Are people out jogging the neighborhood? Like we were looking mm-hmm. for visual cues like that. Like it's kind of to your point, when like you talk about street view, when you talk about those other pieces, there's no listing that can communicate that. 
and, right. and a realtor can't say, oh, you're going to feel safe in this neighborhood running. Like they, they, they can't, there's certain things they can't say. So uh, I'm curious, like what, to, to what extent are you guys limited or what are you able to kind of pick up on some of the, are you able to pick up on some of those things or what are you able some, to capture and communicate to then translate to value? Yeah. So uh, one of the early models we built, uh, we, we called curb score initially because we thought, um, okay, this will be, uh, this will measure the curb appeal of uh, mm-hmm. properties from the exterior. And our goal was to go up and down the block and actually not just look at the, the frontage of the property, but everything on the block that it's located on. Uh, and so that algorithm is still uh, a component of our approach. We need to work it into uh, the comps algo now. But that basically um, takes into account the, the quality and condition of the neighborhood up and down the block surrounding the property. So you get a, a bit of that qualitative sense um, quantified with the algorithm. Uh, on top of that, we're also taking into account things like the, the walkability of the neighborhood, things like the demographics and economics of the, the census tract that it's located in. Uh, basically, doing the market analysis from the property as a starting point, not doing one, mm-hmm. three and five mile radia, but finding every other property that is statistically comparable from its physical makeup and the makeup of the neighborhood and its immediate surroundings. If you do that, then, you know, it doesn't look like uh, drive time polygons or, or radii or, uh, you know, a neighborhood shape. It's actually picking a bunch of points on a map that are statistically the most relevant points to compare to informing your market that way. Essentially, instead of five or 10 comps, take a hundred comps, and then you get everything that truly competes when a resident goes to search on Google and find a place to Mm -hmm. live. I have a friend who invests in Chicago, typically buys the the three and four unit walk-ups, and then he'll totally renovate them, really take them upscale, right? Mm -hmm. And then put it back on the market. But one of his one of his criteria is, is like, how close is the Whole Foods? How close to the Starbucks? He looks at that kind of stuff. How important is that to some of your modeling? Do you, do you look at some of those things as well? Or is that playing into it? Well, so there's um, one thing that people don't understand very well in, in real estate. It, it seems from, I've talked with a lot of data scientists, a lot of researchers. Um, people don't seem to understand covariance, right? Like, because there's a Starbucks there, there are the demographics to support a Starbucks there. So it's like the, the presence of the Starbucks is an indicator that the neighborhood can support a Starbucks. Uh, it, it's actually lagging because it takes time to do the analysis and, and buy the land and build a Starbucks on that that plot, right? Uh, all, all of that takes time. But because they saw the demographics were moving in that direction, they mm-hmm. built a Starbucks. So it was probably uh, in a good spot for multifamily investment way prior and when the Starbucks was built, of course, values are going to go up because more people believe uh, the right retail is there to support development. Okay, now it's a, a good neighborhood. The early adopters who did their analysis beforehand, well, they, they might have bought those uh, two to four flats um, years ago. And now mm-hmm. they're just cheering when the Starbucks comes in because they're like, now someone else is going to come buy my property at a, at a great premium. All we need to do then is get predictive uh, tools to show us where are the Starbucks and Whole Foods going next, and then buy buy within a quarter mile proximity. We'll be all set. We'll we'll all be good. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk uh, specifically AI and 
you know, let's let's get a little technical as as far as you want to go. I'm sure when you see the deer and headlights look on my face, uh, you'll you'll know we've gone far enough. Um, I want to talk about this though because I, I think this is kind of important. Well, let's start with the end user, the the operators, investors, managers that are using Hello Data. What do they need to know? How much time should they be committing to understanding AI, figuring out how it works or should work, or how much time should they not be thinking about those details? Let's start there. Uh, so I think what's important is to understand the limitations, right? It's not when you talk to something like Jet, Chat GPT and you're you're putting in questions, it's it's responding like a human would. It's it's very impressive, but it has limitations. It's only trained on things that happened in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So so new new things it can attempt to predict, but it's going to use past. Uh, data to do that. So th- there's one limitation because every fund manager out there says historical performance does not necessarily indicate uh, future performance, right? Or something along those lines. Well, mm-hmm. it, you know, ChatGPT, every time I try to get something market related, it says, oh, our data is cut off September 2021. Okay, I got it. Uh, but, you know, it, that that's, that's a built-in limitation. Uh, it's going to be biased based on the, the training data that it uses, right? And Fortunately, it's using uh, a lot of the internet, right? So it's got uh, a lot of different examples. But if you know we put training data into it that uh, looks at something a certain way, it's going to look at it that way. It's mm-hmm. basically taking the the average uh, of all the different things that have been written about a topic and predicting each next word, right? Like what is the next word that is most likely to make the person that is asking this question satisfied with the answer? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it's more complicated than that, but essentially that's what it's doing. It's not thinking, it's providing a response that sounds like a human based on historical data. So I don't think uh, people need to think about how AI works and like understand it at a deep level. I do think they need to understand that uh, garbage in, garbage out, right? If you put biased data in, it's going to have biased results. It can hallucinate and come up with things that are not factually accurate, like that, that's a, a really hot topic because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I read the, well, this was like a month or two ago. There was an attorney who used ChatGPT to craft his whole case. It's like referencing oh case gosh. law that never happened. <laughs> and the guy, I, he's probably going to be I disbarred. I feel like I've seen but, something um, about that. It's, it's crazy. It was in, um, it was in the, the New York Times, I think. There was this attorney who, he was under a time crunch, and uh, instead of doing the, the research to find all the, the case precedent, he used ChatGPT, and it just made stuff up. It made up cases that never happened. They sounded legit. It looked exactly like a human who was reading about case law relevant That's to amazing. a case, what they would expect to see. It was just all made up. So, uh, you know, he, he didn't do too hot when he went into court with that. But th- those Wait, so he actually good. went to court with it? Like he went well, he prepared went with it with... and referenced case law that didn't exist? Exactly. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's where he got, uh, yeah, he got into some hot water there. No, it does happen though. I mean, MLSs today are, are battling, uh, listing descriptions with factually inaccurate information generated by Mm. ChatGPT because, uh, and I, I've tested it myself. I've gone in there. I'm like, Hey, I, I recently redid the floor in the kitchen and, uh, you know, I, I all new granite countertops are hardwood floors, nice new cabinets. You give it like a, a general and say craft a listing description based on this. And then you could get stuff like, oh, brand new hardwood floors throughout. 
no, that's not what I said, but it's what would appear mm-hmm. in a listing description that would be appealing, right? That it's yes. trained on. So it, it can easily hallucinate and come up with things that are factually inaccurate. And it's, it's a battle from both sides. On one side, they want to come up with the best predictions of what uh, the responses should be. On the other, they want to catch the factually inaccurate things or AI-generated descriptions and be able to at least flag those uh, as, as potential issues. Okay, at the, the risk of backing you up into a corner. <laughs> this is the, the obvious question for me is you, you've, just, you've just painted the picture as to how AI uh, comes with risks of potentially hallucinating and providing factually inaccurate data. But Hello Data is leveraging AI to provide insights, structuring unstructured data back to you know managers and owners on how to price their units and, and maybe where, what they can do with it, market analysis, et cetera. So what is Hello Data doing to safeguard against falling into those exact same traps? Yeah, we're... Um, so when we do use um, ChatGPT or OpenAI, we, we use their API for some things. It's, it's mostly to synthesize some text that we've programmatically generated and just state it in a different way. And when you're doing that, uh, you, you basically turn the temperature all the way down. Temperature is like uh, one of the parameters where if, if it's higher temperature, it'll get more creative and, and try different things and potentially make stuff up. If you turn it all the way down, uh, it's, it's more factual, right? So we're, mm-hmm. we're feeding text into it and just summarizing it. So we don't have like a ton of risk there. Um, so we, we test it very thoroughly when we are using um, OpenAI. We have like what the inputs are and what we know the output should be. And we'll test mm-hmm. it over thousands and thousands of records and make sure that we're not getting anything that's outside of what we'd expect. It's, it's just testing, right? If you get consistent results uh, and you, you craft it in such a way that you're feeding the exact right data in, you're getting the exact right outputs, then uh, it's, it can be pretty reliable. If you're just saying, take everything on this page and just write something about it, like summarize it however you feel fit, OpenAI, you got it. <laughs> well, okay, then you're going to get some weird stuff sometimes. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So uh, yeah. when we use AI in that regard, it's, it's about testing and trying different uh, prompt configurations. And I can test on uh, the, the chat GPT UI while Nico and Tim, my co-founders, can test uh, the actual API, and we can simultaneously try different prompts and see uh, what produces the best results, kind of that initial investigation uh, as, as we start using it. Um, for other things like image extraction, um, you know, we're using machine learning for, for that. We're, we're using AI in some, you know, small ways within the platform, but it's, it's, it's controlled, right? It's a specific task. And we can measure the outputs and know that they're they're accurate or, or inaccurate, right? We're trying to solve one problem. That's how I think you get the best results uh, from AI across the board, is you're breaking that bigger problem down to several smaller problems. Mm-hmm. If you throw everything at it, unexpected things could happen. And how do you test that, right? Like, I feel it's a good description. I feel it's a good write-up. Okay, that's, that's pretty subjective. But if you're like, I need to solve... For example, extracting uh, the dollar value of concessions that are listed on a website, like the specials that they post. Okay, we've got a model now that can do that with 95% accuracy. Painstaking to do uh, because we had to go through and find, okay, what are all the different types of concessions that can be offered? 
We didn't just say, hey, OpenAI, handle this. Tell me what the effective rent is. We said, okay, mm-hmm. it can be, you can have number of months off. You can have waived application fees. You can have reduced rent. You can have, uh, you know, no, your, your pet fee is half off or you get a gift card for moving in by this date. All sorts of different things. And we broke that down into like 15 different parameters. And then we solved each one of those separately. And when we solve each of them separately, we can measure the success. And then we aggregate them uh, essentially to, to get back to the effective rent and apply that to the, the actual rent we know is, is true at the property or at least is listed, right, to, to get to that effective. Uh, Got it. The, the approach of just feeding it in and hoping for the best, well, yeah, you're going to get some weird stuff there. Like we had um, some, in, we tried that, right, um, just as, a, as an initial investigation. And we had, um, you know, months of free rent was sometimes interpreting weeks of free rent as months of free rent. So three, three weeks of rent off, uh, and this occurred, I, I don't know how frequently this occurs, but there were enough of them that it made a difference. Three weeks of free rent was what was in the text, and OpenAI was interpreting that as months of free rent. That makes a huge difference <laughs> in terms I'd say of that. That is a big difference, yeah. Especially yeah, so if you're we, in a big city like New York City, three oh, weeks yeah. versus three months is massive. Massive amount. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, by, but by breaking it down and solving each different component, uh, you, can, you can gauge the accuracy and get a better result at the end of the day. I, I'd be curious if I were in your shoes, I'd be wanting to pull together like, I just want to find some of the most unique rent concessions. Like one thing I haven't seen that would make a ton of sense to me, right? Because I don't want to lower my rent. I want my net effective, of course, to be as, as up there as, as possible, right? Especially if you're in an area where it's like increases are, are capped. You can't cap certain percentages annually. But I've never seen anyone do like an Uber credit. Hmm. Like an Uber credit would make a ton of sense to me, especially if you have like a large community. And then like, yeah. couldn't you just, couldn't you just like, you have to be able to get a commercial deal with Uber. Like, hey, we're going to spend True. X dollars with you or whatever. But uh, there's probably like then there's credit card deals. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it, ha- it takes like a property manager with a little bit of time and creativity to like work a deal like that. But I think Uber credit would just make so much sense in the world, or like some sort of like yeah. transit credit. You know, there's, have you ever seen that? Just kind of curious. Well, so in the concessions, I've seen all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's all kinds of weird stuff. Like there, there's um, stuff that. I would not expect that to be an incentive to anyone. It's like, oh, you get half off your application fee if you sign by the end of the month. Like weird mm. stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna save 25 bucks. Cool. Thanks for that <laughs> grand incentive. But like one percent um, to the first month. Well, it's it's weird. There's weird stuff. I mean, there's the common stuff that you see most of the time, and then there's some weird stuff out there too. Yeah. Um, but as far as like. There's a company, I'm trying to remember the name, uh, that, that is operating uh, sort of a rewards program uh, for, for paying your rent on time. You get like Pinata. credit. Pinata, that's the one. Yep. Yeah, we've had and, Lily on the show. They're phenomenal. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that, that I think is, uh, that could incorporate the Uber concept. If they don't mm-hmm. already, I think that's a, that's a great vehicle to do so. Rather than requiring yeah, the company com- managers to get creative and strike their own deals, I mean go through a, a provider like that companies like pinata even sugar uh that are working to improve the the resident experience 
both through uh, resident management platform and access controls, but also through uh, benefits and, you know, kind of kickbacks, if you will, for being a resident. It just makes a ton of sense. It's, you know, you want to compete. You shouldn't just cut your price. You got to add value. We're in a, we're in like a, 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 if I can call it this, we're in a value add era where it's not about cutting back on price. I think even consumers, you know, we're not, we don't want to pay less. We just want more for the same. It, you know, and maybe that's not true for everybody, but it feels like it to me. It looks like it to me. We all want more for the same market, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I think when you're thinking inner city, you know, budding metropolis type areas, you know, it, it tends to, you know, B classing up, if you will, buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 more can I get for the same thing? You know, if I get an right. Evolution Fitness in the ground floor, I mean, maybe it's worth an extra five hundred dollars. I don't know. I the Chicago yeah. One building is what I'm thinking of. It's it's a massive building right downtown Chicago, and it's got this like huge. I think it's Evolution Fitness is like the super up class. Gotcha. You know, one day when I retire, maybe I'll be able to afford it type uh, fitness facility, but. Not, yeah, it's. Uh, excuse me, not I mean, but then you go into like the the suburbs and uh, looking at like garden style apartments that are like B C properties. Okay, they, mm. they probably don't care too much about the experience. They just want the cheapest rent they can get. You know, so it it really does depend on the market. And one of the sure. things that we were working on that's like one of the most interesting projects to me, and I I think we can solve it with the data we have, is kind of a tapestry segmentation of um both properties and like market types right so if, if we understand this this type of market not so uh esri does this um tapestry segmentation that they they qualify the the types of people in an area and they got all these different names for it, like the la- lattes and laptops right the blue blooded and they, they describe exactly what all this stuff means and and how they mm-hmm. derived it and what different thresholds you have to meet but like mm-hmm. to do that at the property level. So, you know, this, this property is of this character in this type of market with this kind of like pricing. Uh, you, you can actually get to a really honed description of properties that maybe there are 50 buckets across the, the whole country, across the whole U.S. Let's say there are 50 buckets mm-hmm. that if you can place every property into 50 buckets based on the attributes of the property, like its style, it's your built, it's number of units, it's condition, uh, it's uh, immediate surroundings. Well, that would be really valuable for uh, investment. If, if you're a value-add investor and you go over this particular building tapestry segmentation type, then you, you know you could just use an analytical tool and say, yeah, that is my buy box. That isn't. This has enough upside. This doesn't. Uh, and, and from a pricing standpoint, we can um, basically have a, a shortcut to seeing which units are truly competitive, right? Because they, they have the same tapestry segmentation. It encompasses everything about the property and its immediate surroundings. So that that's uh, a really cool project. We're, we're making incremental progress on it. We saw a data piece and then we, we do a little bit of experimentation to see how similar we can uh, you know make properties behave or, or how their pricing moves together based on the buckets we put them in. And then we add some more data and, and redo the buckets. Eventually, I think we'll get there uh, and I think it'll be a game changer. So so if I'm a, let's say I'm a, a, a property manager up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, 
I'm sure it's a market that comes up a lot when you're having conversations with investors. And I'm thinking like, I'm looking at this tool. I'm like, man, it sounds really, really cool. And how big of a portfolio do I need to really get the value out of using Hello Data? Is there is there a certain buy box, if you will, or customer type that is going to, you know, has to hit a certain threshold to get value out of it? Or is it can be anyone who's got a two unit up? It could be anyone, right? There's no uh, particular threshold. Um, we're trying to make it, we're trying to make revenue management work for everybody, right? Mm. And so um, we're, we're going two plus units. We might ultimately cover like single family built to rent uh, type stuff too and provide pricing there. Um, but yeah, it's there. there's two kind of sides to it because we're doing the, the comps in the analysis and, and aggregating all this data on a daily basis nationwide. Um, it's really helpful for people who are looking at it from an acquisition perspective. They don't need to own the property because it doesn't require property management software integration. You could use our comps tools or our, our rent data, right, to, to analyze and, and make sure it's a good acquisition for you. So there's mm-hmm. a huge market there. But we realized from the, the days with the Noto that if we make it solely based on acquisition, then God forbid the interest rates go up because <laughs> acquisition volume then slows quite a bit down and it has. And so we're trying to get as close to the po- as possible to the operation to help people day in, day out, every single day, make the decisions to optimize the efficiency of their asset and mm-hmm. really set the right pricing to minimize time on market and maximize rents. But on the other side, it's really valuable for acquisitions teams. And ultimately, we're still early in this process. I'm not going to say all the kids yeah. are worked out. It's perfect UI or anything. But we're getting there. And uh, in the next couple months, we're, we're going to release a lot more functionality uh, for pricing and, and strategy recommendations. And I think will be really significant to a lot of operators who currently, what are they doing? They're calling around for pricing, going to property websites, going to listing sites. It's tough. I mean, I think that's how historically people have gotten pricing. I know, uh, I'm trying to think of the podcast uh, I was listening to, but it was, I mean, basically it was that like people would, they'd hire, they'd either like hire a VA and they were calling up. Uh, it wasn't a VA, it was like a VA office and, and, mm-hmm. call, and like just calling around to like gather up data that may not be available on a website easy to scrape or you know just seeing what they could get from behind the curtains uh, if you will yeah. um and i know you said things aren't really perfectly put in place uh just so we can refresh the audience here because you know maybe this is their first time hearing of you guys you guys are what six months old <laughs> we we launched in january right um okay. so we're not that old <laughs> but um it's our second rodeo right we've we've done this before yeah. um you know, our, our last approach was focused on underwriting, like automating the underwriting process for, for uh, Enodo back in the day. And yeah, acquisitions volume started to slow, even even though like 2018, 19 was, uh, was better from acquisitions perspective than today. Mm-hmm. We learned that lesson that as soon as volumes do slow down, like sales slow down. And I've seen it, yeah. I, I've talked with all these like deal management platforms that are up today, their, their volumes are way down too. Right? Because oh, not yeah. as many deals are happening, but you get close to the operation, then you're always necessary. And pricing is like the most important discussion people are having day in, day out. It's just right now, the way they're doing it, if you do call all those properties and go to all those, all those property websites and go to the listing sites and get all that information into your spreadsheet, 
you're still subjectively analyzing it as a human would and not right. able you to You still like, have to determine exactly. how you slice, what means what, like what point scale do I give for a hundred square feet of storage versus no storage or what's a garage worth or a carport. And it's still very subjective. And kind of like you said, like, is it going to be statistically relevant? Yeah. And if you mess up with like one amenity and you price it incorrectly, well then mm-hmm. your, your rent for that, those units that have that amenity uh, or don't have it is messed up for the whole year, right? You're signing contracts with that accounted for uh, in, in your rent. And mm-hmm. so um, the, the mistakes you make uh, in, in pricing, they have long-term impact. Uh, so I think it's a, a very important problem to solve. And right now there's not a good solution. And that's why we're doing this kind of um, non, non-property management software integrating approach. Because if you think about it, um, the, the pricing, if, if like a Yieldstar or LRO or one of these systems did work for much smaller properties, say like a 20-unit property, Right. Integration costs would be way more than the annual contract amount because the the integration costs are fixed. They still have to figure out how to get uh, integrated in the data flowing. And then they you need on the owner side, basically a a asset manager who's full or part time managing the pricing. That's a huge cost, obviously. And then you usually have to pay someone on their side to like tell you how the system works and help you pull the levers and adjust and make sure it's it's working for your strategy. That's a lot of human input in something that can be fully automated. Um, And so we're trying to make it, we're trying to hit the easy button on it, make it so that it's transparent. The recommendations are very clear. They're backed by data that you can understand. And it's saying, hey, your ad spend is too low. Raise your ad spend to be more in line with the market. Or, hey, you know, if you price here, you're going to be on the market for three weeks. If you price here, you'll actually make more in NOI and you'll only be on the market for a week uh, because, you know, and it, it, it kind of matters what that scale is, how much, how many weeks you're, you're giving up. But like, yeah, if people are overpricing their units. They're, they're going to lose at the end of the day. If they're underpricing, they're going to lose. We're, we're trying to help yeah. them hit that exact right price. Well, certainly when, when we're in an environment where the cost of capital has uh, skyrocketed, and certainly this is one of the topics on Twitter quite frequently in the in the retweet uh, community, if you will, you know, syndicators who, you know, this year and even next year who are looking at a refinance event to be able to return capital to investors are now stuck with like, oh, shoot, how are we going to get Enough, how are we going to extract enough value to to give back the money to our investors? Uh, we yeah. might have to do a capital call, given you know the cost of capital, instead of being able to give initial investment back. So in this case, you know what you're what you're saying here is like this could be the difference of being able knowing if you're going to be able to hit earlier, uh, and then making the adjustments so that you can hit, so that maybe not stuck in doing a capital call versus being able to return all of, if not most mm-hmm. of the, the funds back to investors. It seems like pretty high stakes uh to to do that yeah i think um so i've heard this from a few different uh groups i've seen like posts on it i've heard people talk about it like before in the the good times where everything is going up and this this is true every time right every cycle everyone's looking brilliant you're buying properties it just goes up in value rents are skyrocketing (laughs) yeah we're all geniuses but now when, when it's a little tougher 
And you have things like interest rates going sky high and inflation being really high and people being priced out of markets. Rents are starting to plateau or decline in some markets. Operations are really, really important. And we're trying yeah. to help people not just on the pricing side to optimize that, but remove the bottlenecks to their operation. You know, if you're if you are overpaying for R&M compared to everyone in your market, OK, you should probably look at some other vendors. If you are uh, underspending on advertising and that's, you know, you have a great property, great product, the product market fit is there in the tech yep. parlance, right? Um, you know, but you're not advertising it properly. Well, then you're never going to get the rents that you should get for, for that asset. So um, the, the beauty of AI and, and the approach that, that we take with these things is, you know, we can isolate the impacts of each different variable and then tell you this is the one that you need to address first. And then if you address that, let's look at the rest and find what the next bottleneck is. There can only be one biggest problem at any given point in time. And we're, we're trying to help you identify that to, to maximize your success. You had mentioned something about deal volume. And, you know, I, I just tweeted this out the other day. It was it, it came from PropMoto. They were talking about the Redfin report covering second quarter investor home purchases. So I think this is a single family, not multifamily, but it's still relevant in this topic here. And uh, investor home purchases down 45% for the second quarter year over year. And I mean, that's yeah. not an insignificant volume. No. That's, a, <laughs> that's, that's so, and, and this is, this is interesting because I think this becomes like, you know, as, as investors chasing yield, you have to find it somewhere. And, you know, we're seeing, uh, I, I'm seeing stuff come out from Jay Parsons, who I follow pretty closely. He puts out some pretty good reports about the rent trends. Yeah. Rents are not just going to continue to the r- up to the right. If cost of capital is continuing up to the right, the one metric we maybe don't want to go that direction. And values, property values aren't exactly nosediving. Transaction, vo- you know, transaction volumes are down. I mean, you've got to find something here. You can't rely on just you know turning and burning properties, if you will. You can't just push the rents all, all up at the same time or just think mm-hmm. that they'll go up magically. You have to know what you're competing abilities are. So kind of like what you said, like analyzing concessions and neighborhood and other amenities, if you can do anything to help force appreciation or force those value adds, you know, now you you, you have an ability to do that. I think that's uh, really interesting. It's kind of a unique time uh, to be able to like bring this to market. I think this is kind of like good timing, if you will, uh, for, for yeah. you guys. Um, I wanted to cover one more thing here, and then we're going to jump to the bottom segment of the show. You know, I know you guys are still within the first year of business. You've got some, you know, you've, this is not your first rodeo. Uh, but what what have you been doing that's been helping get adoption with other startups and or other uh, uh, operators and investors? Like what's been getting you guys out and in front of your ideal customers? Uh, so partnerships are the main approach uh, to, to get in front of our target audience. If, if you know, we're going to operators who um, have properties under a hundred units, the institutional groups that are at all the conferences and all the events, right. And uh, they're the ones everyone's trying to sell to. And, you know, they, they're, they already have products to answer every single question they have. And, and they're not as price sensitive because they, you know, it's not them. It's not their capital. It's like an asset manager or property manager who works for a much bigger group. So, you know, 
yes, we can sell the data and APIs to them, like MBR, because uh, we had to develop the data first, then the APIs, then then the interface, right, to, to house it all. And we're, we're still working on the interface part. Um, but we're selling the, the data to them, and, and that's great. They're, they're a bit easier to reach. But if I mm-hmm. had to go to every owner of a property under 100 units and convince them all separately to, to use our software, well, I'd be a very old man by the time I, I got a real market share, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we're partnering with property management software providers. We're partnering with uh, data, data providers, different analytics providers uh, to, to embed our predictions right where they already are working. Right. That, that's the, the number one path to, to meet these people. And so we're, we're talking with different um, property management software providers that cater to that specific end of the market um, and, and trying to embed within their systems. To, to, so it's every time they query our rent prediction API and we, we make money from that and they mm-hmm. get they don't have to leave their interface and download pricing over here and then upload it over here. Uh, that that makes it just unpleasant to use, right? And everyone's tired of another thing to log into. But it, it's kind of like um, if you don't have any interface for it, then people can't conceptualize it. They don't know what you're you're providing. Right. It, it's it's strange, but like having the interface actually helps sell the API to the platforms that we want to partner. So we have to build something. But our hope is that most of our users will be in their property management software doing what they normally do and they just have mm-hmm. pricing right where, where they are uh, and so we built everything with the api first approach data first approach and the ui uh you know we're, we're not um we're not designers really <laughs> we're, we're we're data people and so the ui is not going to be the the best out there uh, I, I would say but um it will have the best data out there it'll have the best insight out there and then uh you know if you want to use it in your software that you're already using. Hopefully that, that user who sees our demo will then say, hey, property management company or software company, I really want this pricing. Can you integrate this API? And they get enough pressure and then uh, you know they, they integrate with us, that, that sort of approach. That's going to be the number one. And then uh, number two that has worked pretty well is when we use the data to do analyses. And we so I did something on um, insurance cost increases by state. Uh, oh, yeah. This was like a little over a month ago, and that's a hot topic for people. But we use our mm-hmm. uh, expense database to show over the past uh, three years how, how have insurance costs increased in every U.S. state. And uh, Louisiana, number one uh, for, for increases. Um, someone commented that, and, and we get comments on these because it's interesting stuff. Someone commented that um, they're wondering if Texas and Florida uh, their NOI increases outpaced insurance cost increases, and they didn't. And then I did a follow-up analysis and showed that, no, it's a larger percentage of EGI being devoted to insurance costs in Texas, mm-hmm. Florida, Louisiana. It's just Louisiana didn't have as much NOI growth, so it really hit them hard. Mm-hmm. It's th- that Those sort of analyses, um, they're good for SEO because it's the type of things people are searching for. So you do mm-hmm. a blog post on it, they're, they're going to find that. Uh, it's good for social media because they uh, they're, they're going to like, share, comment, uh, and it's good for uh, you know our newsletters. We send it as the the lead in for the newsletter. People are like, oh, insurance cost increases by state. I want to open that, and then they check yep. it out. And then there's some other stuff yep. on Hello Data. Uh, those those seem to be the approaches that work the best: partnerships and data driven content. 
I love it. Yeah, uh, these are uh, as music to my ears. As as a marketer, when I when I work with founders who understand those kinds of things, I'm like, this this is gonna be so good. We're gonna win. <laughs> because it's 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 really good content but it's also it's the kind of thing it it, it contextualizes there's a lot of data that's floating around but if you only see a chart once or twice or you see something every like four or five months inconsistently how can you contextualize it where does that mean things are going how do you prepare what do you what actions do you take from it it's really hard to know so these these are types of things that are super helpful all right mark we're going to transition here we're jumping down to my segment of the show i like to call for the future for the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. You ready to play? Sure thing. All right. First one here. Question number one, what does Hello Data look like one year from now? In one year from now, I think we will be the only solution on the market that provides pricing regardless of the size of, of the property. Um, provides pricing and strategy recommendations for the entirety of the market. I think we'll have most of our sales will probably still come from the data contracts as they have so far, but we'll be getting uh, more and more inroads into the under 100 unit property owner space. And um, they talk and they share uh, when they like something. So I I think it'll start to spread like wildfire and we'll be in a really Mm -hmm. good spot. Certainly, uh, I'm hoping in a year we'll be at break even revenue, uh, you know, from from a revenue perspective. But um, I really think we'll start to get that that market share in the the target market. Awesome. Number two, will rents? Oh, excuse me. Where will rents go from here in multifamily? I think, on average, um, we'll see close to the long term historical like three percent uh, rent growth for like the next year probably, but some markets will still be hot and will still be rising like crazy and some will be falling. On average across the country, I think inflation slowed, rent growth has slowed. I think uh, rent growth will look like the long-term average. Uh, but I'm, I'm no economist. You mentioned Jay Parsons, he's probably got a better idea of where, where things will be. It's market-based, right? Some markets will still sure, do great, yeah. some, some will struggle. All right. Number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? One that will continue, but I wish would go away. I think we will continue to do everything in PDFs and we will, uh, (laughs) on one side, we're going to aggregate data, uh, maybe using OpenAI to craft our OMs and make them beautiful and, and do all that great text and imagery. And then we're going to send that PDF to someone else and they're going to use OpenAI to extract the data from it, analyze it and summarize it. We're still going to be trading PDFs back and forth. And I I hope that at some point uh, we're going to realize, hey, this is kind of dumb because (laughs) we're just using OpenAI as an intermediary to like translate between. No one's reading or preparing anything. We're just all using AI to do everything. (laughs) And it's like, it's multiple layers. It's not just like, hey, this guy's selling, this guy's buying. It's like, I have to pitch my investment committee. I have to pitch my lender. I have to pitch all these different parties involved and it have to get pitched and summarized. And I hope we'll just digitize that whole thing. I would, uh, maybe one of us can structure this as an experiment, but to set up that flow of what that process, you know, a process like that could look like from the point of like the customer gives the agent information, the agent then goes to open AI and prepares something. And then that's given to the, the, the buyer's agent and the buyer's agent interpret and you go the whole way through and see how 
bad it gets to the end if everyone used oh. open ai as the intermediary it's, that could be interesting easy yeah yeah it's yeah. just so many layers of summary that uh that we'll, we'll realize that at some point as an industry we're like hey well, let's just not do the pdf thing <laughs> but but for the interim i'm pretty sure we're just going to be translating between PDFs. But mark pdfs have always done in the business it's always worked don't don't it's worked, don't yeah. it's- <laughs> don't, don't fix what's not broken here all right here last one on for the future what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances i think uh legal is going to be disrupted pretty hard and that's a huge Ayo. component of uh, transaction costs in real estate um it's kind of crazy it's a function of real estate being very fragmented but Everyone's LOI is different. Everyone's offer is different. I mean, we got in residential, you've got templates for it, but they're even different across different states. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think that the cost we pay in legal will, will be significantly reduced because it's either going to be the lawyers using it themselves, uh, like these these platforms that are, they're, they're overlays on uh, GPT-4, but they're pretty good. They're getting really good at like referencing case law and, and pulling up the right things. Again, you can't just feed it into chat GPT and be like, hey, solve my case for me, whatever. Yep. Uh, but you know, if you tee it up properly and you solve each problem separately, you can build a pretty good platform that can deliver robust legal advice and draft documents pretty accurately. So I think uh, the, the cost will probably initially, uh, the attorneys will spend less time doing these things or, or more of the time will be shifted to the, the junior associates who are using uh, these tools to, to craft uh, legal docs. And then, uh, after that, the general market will say, Hey, wait a second for things like, uh, you know, terms and conditions on my site or my LOI template or what, whatever it may be. I can just use this tool and pay 25 bucks a month. And I, I get it all done where I would have spent like six grand on it. Okay. That that's going to be a huge cost reduction, especially. Oh, in yeah. This business. oh yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. All right, we're going to shift to the very last three questions, Mark. These are more about you, so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one, what are you reading? Right now, uh, I've been going through The Three-Body Problem, and I'm on the second uh, book, The the Dark Forest, right? It's super, super interesting. Uh, Is this fiction or nonfiction? Uh, It's fiction. Usually, I've I've read so many business books at this point. I'm like, "Ah, I need to cleanse the palate a little. Let's do some sci-fi. Uh, they, it starts to get redundant after a while they're advising the same thing. Uh, so I'm like, sure. oh, let's transition to sci-fi and I, I listen on my runs. Uh, been, been really enjoying it. If you're into sci-fi, uh, I highly recommend, uh, on the discovery plus platform, uh, aliens in Alaska. I've been enjoying that documentary. Okay. I'll check it out. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. All right. Number two here. Who are you learning from? Uh, I am learning from our customer base. <laughs> Every day, uh, all these different groups that I'm talking with, I'm, I'm trying uh, to, to narrow, uh, hone in on their exact problems, their, their pain points. And I've been learning, I've been in real estate for a while and real estate tech for a while. I mean, I started my mm-hmm. career in real estate, but the, the intricacy of some of these issues um, in, in the magnitude I'm, I'm learning a lot more about every day and it's really helping us um, hone the product and, and narrow, narrow the functionality to what's solving the, the biggest pain points. So that's, that's probably been my main source and it's, it's from everyone. 
we're not um, as big on tracking like the competition and everything that they're doing. And, oh, they released a new feature. I'm going to freak out about it. No, it's it comes from the users. And if you build a good mm-hmm. relationship with them, you could learn a very lot. They learn from you, too. And mm-hmm. uh, then they become loyal users. So uh, that, that's been the biggest driver. All right. Last one here. What inspires you? My, uh, the, the success of my family and the prosperity of my family is the biggest driver for me. I want to build a legacy for them and make sure that they're, they have, uh, they, they never want for anything. Uh, I don't want them to be, uh, like a succession type <laughs> kind of lazy kids. They're like, Oh, I got this fortune. I don't have to work hard. I want to teach them <laughs> the, the value of hard work. Um, yeah. but I want to show them by doing it and build that legacy for them. So that's, that's kind of my inspiration. That's awesome. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show, uh, breaking things down. I think this has been a very helpful episode. The hot topic of the year, of course, on AI. I think you bring a lot of value to that discussion. Of course, of course, is what you're doing for the, the multifamily industry here. Before we close out and go, for those who want to get in touch with you and or learn more about Hello Data, where do they go and how do they do that? Check out hellodata.ai, hellodata.ai, all one word. And um, if you want to reach out to me, it's Mark, M-A-R-C, not Mark with a K, M-A-R-C, at hellodata.ai, and uh, we'd love to chat. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to catch you around at one of the PropTech or real estate events. But until then, we will see you later. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to TechNest. The PropTech Podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.